Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Uh, we come to you today again on the Faithful and True YouTube channel. We hope that you're enjoying these new video podcasts, as well as our audio podcasts that are available on the Faithful and True website and uh, iTunes and iHeartRadio. And that's a lot, lot of easy ways mm-hmm. to find us, isn't yes. it? If you're looking for us, you can find us. That's right. I'm, I'm here, of course, today with uh, our host, Dr. Greg Miller, and, of course, the director of Faithful and True, Deb Laser. Deb, it's great to see you. Thank you. And our special guest, Greg, you've got a close connection to our, our next guest. Why, why don't you introduce our Absolutely. guest? Absolutely. Well, for those of you that have been following us, you know that we have been doing a series on the stages of couple development. And so when we were talking about stage one, we had Jim Farm, who is the clinical director here at Faithful and True. And then when we were discussing stage two, Susie Schmidt, one of the counselors here, joined us. Well, today, as we talk about stage three, um, my wife and partner, um, Beth Miller, is going to be joining us. Um, she's from calling from home in Chicago, and she's going to be participating with us as we talk about stage three, which is about thriving as a couple. And I think, hun, we know something about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As she says, enthusiastically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's it's good to be here, and thanks for including me in this discussion. Well, we are glad that you are here. So, wh- what we do want to acknowledge is that when f- couples first come to Faithful and True, it is difficult for them to believe that thriving is even possible. They they would be set they would be satisfied with some level of surviving it, and so um, we're going to be talking today about what it looks like to thrive, and really how to cast that vision. And it's probably intentional that part of thriving is the ability to forgive one another. And so what what does forgiveness look like and how is it that we talk about that here at the center? Do you want to start out, Beth? Well, um, many years ago, I taught high school English. And uh, one of the um, often unfun experiences in English is learning about verb tense. And you may remember that there is a present progressive uh, verb tense, which talks about I am walking, I am moving, um, I am eating. And when I began to think about forgiveness in that framework, that really uh, landed in me in a place that was so helpful. This idea that I am forgiving. It could be this present progressive experience. And I think so often we, we see it um, differently, like it's this black and white experience. Have I forgiven or have I not? And that honestly doesn't leave a lot of room for movement. I think when we think about really painful things in our lives, whether it's, you know, an experience of hurt in our marriage or other deep wounds, quite often it's more of, you know, this longer experience, kind of a a marathon rather than a quick sprint down the track. And so when we can be engaged in the process of listening, you know, as come up um, and how we're aware of what maybe we're holding on to, I think it can be really helpful for us to think about it in those terms. Yeah, I would add, too, that a lot of the women are 
challenged, I think, by their spouses sometimes, certainly in their church settings by pastors or other uh, people on the faith journey to forgive actually maybe fairly quickly in the beginning Mm -hmm. of this uh, journey uh, of betrayal specifically. And um, we are finding that quick forgiveness, although, you know, the idea of forgiving is definitely something we know will be important to thrive, that there are some steps to consider before they do that. And one of those is to know what they're forgiving, which Mm -hmm. is why we talk Mm -hmm. about truth-telling in the stage one. And um, it's also having a chance to um, emote those, uh, you know, natural emotions that come from having been hurt and having a time to let your body um, experience those emotions so that they're not stuck inside of you. When when you forgive, I think there's also this belief that you need to stop thinking or feeling about this hurt, and Mm -hmm. that doesn't really go together. And it's Mm -hmm. still important to have some time to really feel through hurtful things so that, for the most part, you can think about it, talk about it, and, and not decompose, so to speak, when you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to remember that we're going to learn in this stage, I think, about forgiving uh, any number of things, not just betrayal issues. Mm-hmm. You know, what's true mm-hmm. is when we grow relationships and the closer we get to someone, the more we will hurt each other. That's just how it works. And so... Um, we're not the only ones that will be thinking about how to forgive because I think our spouses will also be thinking about things that they've held grievances about in terms of how we've lived life and how we've hurt Mm -hmm. them. And so it will be a back and forth, I believe, with both people looking at things, you know, regularly and owning those things. We've talked about ownership back in stage two. And that's where Mm. owning and then apologizing and forgiving becomes such a natural and regular part of stage three. Well, one one thing I think that complicates forgiveness is when we attach forgiveness to either consequence or hurt. So this idea of, of I will forgive when there are no longer consequences or I will forgive when I'm no longer hurting and recognize that the consequences of someone's choice may be long-term and their hurt may be something significant that will surface over time. So when I begin to recognize I can be hurting and forgiving and I can be living with consequences of someone's choices and be forgiving, it it reframes it for me in a way that makes forgiveness possible at any point that I begin to be open Mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I hear people get tripped up maybe the most uh, around forgiveness is believing that somehow forgiving is equating the situation to saying this is okay, Mm -hmm. what happened is okay. And I love um, author Jerry Sitzer who says nothing changes the moral order. What's wrong is wrong. And forgiveness absolutely does not mean that what, what happened, whatever that may be, is okay. What it does mean is that um, while I didn't have a say maybe in what someone has done and and the way that's affected me, I do have a say in how um, my emotions are impacting me now. I have a say in what I'll do with what's happening in me as a result of what's happened. And to me, that is so freeing Mm -hmm. when I can, you know, understand forgiveness 
as that kind of process. Well, it's it's distinguishing and recognizing I have been victimized by this experience, and yet I am not a victim. Uh, victimization mm-hmm. is what happens to me, and if I become a victim, then I'm allowing it to begin to define me. And that yeah. space is, I don't think, ever what was intended is for this thing that happened to become who I am. I think one other thing I would just add in terms of as we get better at forgiving and asking for forgiveness, um, there's there's an element of it that I think we do much better when we learn and acknowledge things we need to be forgiven mm-hmm. for. Um, I think it's easy to sometimes label those things where we've been hurt by another person and try to make a decision about forgiving. But I think if we will go after, first of all, figuring out what I may need forgiveness for and what that would, what that is about and how I need to ask for that, I think it sets us up to be in a gentler place to mm-hmm. think about forgiveness for others. So yeah. um, that's a process we talk about also, mm-hmm. you know, as Beth and I work with women um, it, it's it's so complex, as we say about so many things. It's not just an easy, I forgive you and we move on. Right. So, and as right. you mm-hmm. were even identifying, Deb, it's this idea that forgiveness must begin with truth. Mm-hmm. It, it must begin with reality. Whatever is true is true. And so it's not about minimizing what somebody did or catastrophizing what they did, but right-sizing what they did and living in that truth. And sometimes it does take time in order to be able to embrace the full truth of what has happened. Um, so let's move on. The next thing about living in stage three and thriving in the coupleship is override old associations with new ones. So what does that look like to override those old associations? I heard just yesterday in one of my support groups, a woman was processing this very thing, and she said there have been a lot of painful things that have happened, even um, the time of year could be tough. And Mm -hmm. she was specifically facing um, an anniversary of when their crash and burned happened. And she said, "The, the thing that I'm coming to realize and finding such freedom in is that there are new memories being laid down. Mm -hmm. And I loved that image. And I love that, that, phrase, um, new memories being laid down, that yes, uh, there are a lot of old, painful associations and memories, um, experiences, that's part of the truth, and that expression you just used, Greg, of the fullness of the truth, that applies to this as well. There are new ways that we're growing, there are ways that we're healing, and What's happened is one chapter in our book, in our story, and it's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, this is where we love the truth about our brains and memory, which mm-hmm. is as we create new memories, the older ones tend to, to start sinking to the bottom of our brain, I guess mm-hmm. if we can right. use that image. <laughs> uh, they're down at the bottom of the pool. And we're putting new ones on top of that so that it gets, if, if we keep putting new ones on top of it, which is what we hope we'll be doing during the thriving mm-hmm. stage, mm-hmm. that those older ones go deeper and deeper and deeper and we really think about them less and less and less um, to the point where some of them almost kind of disappear without mm-hmm. some real intentional thoughts about it. And that's why I think there is so much hope 
that life is not always going to be this hard and we're not always going to be thinking about these things because our brain chemistry allows us to live differently. Well, and another thing yeah. I, I hear in this is sometimes we are the last to see that our spouse is changing, that we can see them through an old lens and not recognize the work that he or she is doing so that we can experience them in new ways. So part of this old association will be the expectations of how our spouse used to react or what they used to do and really be open to the possibility that our spouse is changing so that we can experience him or her in this new way. So I love the scripture about, you know, whatever's true and lovely and beautiful, think on these things, which mm-hmm. is about current, right. you know, because we can keep training our minds to go back and pull up the memories from the bottom of the pool and keep thinking about those. Um, and it will probably delay our ability to thrive and live in the present when things are changing and mm-hmm. are better. So we, yeah. we need to participate in that our, ourselves and be aware of how we hurt ourselves and kind of sabotage the place we might like to go if we're not careful with our own thought life. Well, the, the idea that history can create comfort. So even if it's a painful history, it's familiar. And so sometimes, like you said, we drag ourselves back into the old patterns of the relationship instead of being open to these new possibilities and then the freedom that comes with those. Right. The, the next I'm also, thing, Oh, go ahead, Beth. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reminded of something that Mark would say a lot, and that's if um, there are thoughts that continue to come up, you know, if there are thoughts that nag us or um, just seem um, so determined, you know, to make their way to the forefront of our mind, that we can interview them. I think he would even use the word interrogate them, you know, that there's a message from our soul in there. So if, if there are some things that we're struggling to let go of, that there's a healthy way forward with that as well. And I, I love this idea that um, we can just explore, okay, what, why is that? But I'm having trouble letting go of that. And there may be a really um, important need in there that we need to listen to. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the next thing that we have is that if we're going to be thriving, we begin to eliminate the labels and the generalizations, and then specifically this idea of no identified patients or no identified problems, that we don't define our coupleship through the lens of one person is responsible for all of the challenges that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's yeah. maybe a difficult one when someone's been really hurt through mm-hmm. betrayal. Mm-hmm. And again, a choice that I think we're making to continue to own things in our own life, to accept we're not a perfect person. We don't need to keep score who's been better than the other one, but just to accept that um, as we move forward, we can continue to both look at our lives and own what we need to own and um, appreciate the new life we're trying to create together. That's very mm-hmm. hard to do when when there's a hierarchical uh, filter of someone who's always going to be the problem or what they've done will always be yeah. in the forefront of, and we use that as a filter for everything we're facing. Um, that really is, it's not possible to thrive and create intimacy in that setting. How, mm-hmm. how do you help or support someone who maybe uses the language of, well, I would never have done what you did, 
or you find that they're using the betrayal as some sort of um, power or maybe even a, a trump card that they can play when the relationship becomes difficult or complex or their pain is just significant? I, I think we can learn a lot from the story of Peter. I think Peter is a great example of how all of us can underestimate our ability to betray or hurt another person. You know, he, he had like zero framework that he could do that to Jesus. And I, I think, um, Greg, I know you and I have talked about this, but that was a, some work I had to do to get to the place of saying, I've, I might not have made these same choices, and one, I have the absolute capacity to do that, and two, I've done other things that have been hurtful and painful um, that you've been on the receiving end of. I mean, I, I think one of the things that is such a heartbreak for me is when I'll speak with a spouse who says something like, um, this isn't my issue, I haven't done anything, he just needs to get his stuff together, maybe even in more colorful language than <laughs> that, you know. And um, yes, it, everybody has work to do. And that includes, you know, the spouse as well. And, of course, that is hard to hear at the beginning. Um, and I, I think getting to the place that we recognize, uh, th- there's a reason that part of the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Like, it's, it, it's always being aware of, of the both and of that. Mm-hmm. And I would just add, too, Greg, that there is a timing piece before Mm -hmm. we want to enter into some of these kinds of discussions with women that we we totally recognize that we need to first hear and understand the traumatic place that any wife is in after betrayal. So the hope would be, and that's why maybe it's more about stage three, you know, Mm -hmm. it takes some time Mm -hmm. to get to that place where... We've had enough time to feel the feelings and work through the pain of some of this before we are ready, to to take a look at ourselves. And one of the books I love about this that um, sometimes I recommend to women was Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Mm-hmm. Because I think right. often the wives can relate to the elder son, and our spouses we clearly see as the younger. And Henry Nouwen does a wonderful job of taking a look at both of those relationships mm-hmm. and what what both of them need to consider and explore in terms of really following God. So um, sometimes it's just through subtle things like reading something mm-hmm. or listening to someone else or, you know, understanding that self-righteousness is one of the things we've really been told about mm-hmm. in the Bible to take seriously in our lives. Well, and at the yeah. workshop, we spend some time talking about self-righteousness And the way I describe it is self-righteousness is when I am focused on all the things I haven't done and not fully owning the things that I have done. And for me, it's concerning when a husband is too quickly wanting to start laundry listing all of the things that his wife has done that has been hurtful or he's concerned that she's not owning her stuff. And I want him to understand that (laughs) if you create the space that you need, just to own your stuff and to really hear and understand the the chaos and the pain that you've created, that if you trust in time, if she is confident that you are owning your stuff, there will be space then for her maybe to begin to look at her own story. 
But as we've identified, it's a matter of time. It, it cannot be rushed. Yeah. And the next thing um, to be listed is this idea of for a couple in this season of thriving to work on healthy sexuality. And for us, that may be obvious because um, the couples that we work with, they've experienced betrayal and um, the husbands have experienced sexual addiction. What, what does it mean? How do we support couples to really find that redemptive sexuality that God intended? Well, I think just briefly, one of the things that we focus, is, focus on is a definition of healthy sexuality, mm-hmm. which is usually different than how most people have thought about it. Sexuality in and of itself is generally a fairly easy part of a relationship because we're like heat-seeking missiles, as Mark used to always say. And in the beginning of a relationship, it's easy to connect with one another without doing all the emotional work or even the talking. We allow our bodies to connect and we feel and start identifying that as what that's what's love and connection for us. But our... Um, Our definition of healthy sexuality is that it becomes, healthy sexuality is the expression of our emotional and spiritual connection. So in a stage like this, we're wanting couples to have worked profoundly on what that means to be emotionally safe and emotionally connected and Mm -hmm. spiritually connected with our spouse so that when we are in that place, our sexuality then becomes an expression of that. Whenever I talk about that with women, they're like, oh, yeah, that's what, that's what I think I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's really what we've always we've had. And so, again, that's where we talk about the growth that can come from this journey is even experiencing something as intimate as sexuality, even if it's been good, it's been different from what they will mm-hmm. experience perhaps when mm-hmm. we start teaching them some of the other emotional, spiritual ways of getting connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I also I, oh, go ahead, Beth. No, go ahead. Well, well, oh, <laughs> you go. I, but which two are married here, Deb? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you. Well, I am just aware that um, our sexuality is often so vulnerable and pretty fragile, and I think part of of this. Um, process of working on our healthy sexuality is not just exploring some of um, the history between the husband and wife to this point, but also um, what messages have I brought into it even before then? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what what are my stories and, um, you know, what are my core beliefs around this? This can take a while. I mean, this is why this is in stage three. It can take a while for us to begin to, one, feel um, secure enough in our own work that we can begin to explore this, but especially then to begin talking about that and feeling safe with one another. Um, I know we often here at Faithful and True recommend that a couple may need some good support with that as a part of their recovery team so that they bring professional help quite possibly onto the team for a season to help navigate finding some new pathways and, you know, forming some new patterns with one another that really can be very redemptive and helpful. Well, and, and that idea that there is such a significant vulnerability around our sexuality that we are easily hurt and wounded 
and especially for men and women that had some sort of um, sexual invasion or abandonment that really shaped and formed them in a mm -hmm. chaotic way, um, they're going to need a safe space to be able to navigate that. And kind of the idea is that sex isn't something that we do, but it's a way that we are able to be with our spouse. And it's my ability to be present with myself and be with my wife, be with you, and in that space, be together with God. And, and it's not about something that we do, but it's our capacity to be intimate. And that, that is so much more challenging than traditionally what we hear about sexuality. And it is so mm -hmm. much more redemptive than how we typically hear people talk about sexuality. Yeah. Well, there, there is so much more that we could talk about in stage three. Um, but once again, we're coming to the end of our program. And um, as we said, that we've been talking about the stages that couples go through in the, the stage one, the stage two, and the stage three. And our hope is by looking at each of these stages, we are casting a vision of hope that wherever you are, that there's a, a way to move forward and that the things that you desire for your relationship are possible. And um, it's not about just maintaining. It's not just about surviving. But there truly is this invitation and this vision of, of thriving. Do you think we'll be able to come back and do a second part on part three? I bet we can. Oh, it's so hard to get Beth, though. It's, it's, it's I think that's a good idea. Very hard to schedule we, we, Beth. We She's... left this with so many important things to talk about. I know I was making a face at Aaron. Like, do we really have to stop? But, but we will be back. And, okay. and, and soon. Yeah, and yeah. Part, part of the reality is this thriving piece is what brings us hope. And those of us who work with couples, what brings us excitement and joy when we start to see um, couples really thriving. That was one of the things that earlier in a podcast Chris and Elizabeth talked about is how exciting it is when you begin to see a couple move from just surviving whatever it is that they've experienced to really thriving and experiencing the, the marriage and the relationship that God intended. Yeah. So yes, Absolutely. something tells me that we can work that out. <laughs> thank you, Director of Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, thank you so much for joining us today, and we do look forward to uh, having you very soon on a follow-up podcast to this. Uh, to our you. listeners, we thank you again for your loyalty and for uh, checking out our new Faithful and True video podcast uh, on the Faithful and True YouTube channel. Uh, we also offer the podcast, uh, we'll continue to offer the podcast in audio form on the Faithful and True website and on iTunes and uh, iHeartRadio. So until we um, come back to you again next week, uh, we want to wish you a great week that's filled with many blessings and great vision. <laughs>